You're in a, a fight to the death, and you can bring one non-firearm-based weapon. I think... I'll have a hedge trimmer. <laughs> Wait, yeah. <laughs> yeah? A cordless one. You turn up, you turn up to a fight to the death with a cordless hedge trimmer, and you'd look cool as well. Yeah. I just, I just bought a power washer. <laughs> it really hurts when you hit your feet doing the you could, do, you could do some damage with a power washer. Oh, yeah. Hello, and welcome to the First Solution podcast. This series brings you interviews with leading personalities in the Southwest, talking about a wide range of topics, including business, tech, sport, sustainability, and more. So we're on episode three now, and I feel like we might be starting to get into a bit of a groove. For this episode, we have a chat with Lauren Thompson of the boutique cybersecurity recruitment consultancy, Infosec People. Lauren and Infosec People are longtime friends of First Solution, and we cover lots of interesting things. Sinam, the future of cybersecurity, the recruitment industry, and Cheltenham's new cyber park. We try and test Lauren on philosophy and ethics, but I think she gives us a bit of a lesson in return. Somehow, we end up talking quite a bit on ice baths, nuclear power stations, and pacemakers. But we very much enjoyed our chat with Lauren, and we hope you enjoy listening. How do you feel about ethics? Oh, I did ethics at A-level. Oh! So, is there such a thing? You'll know, you know this one, then. So, unfortunately, I do, yeah. Is there, is there an ethics A-level? Yeah, philosophy and ethics. Oh, philosophy and yeah, ethics. Yeah, I tanked it. I, got about, I, I think I scraped a C, but... That's not tanking. That's a good pass. It is in my books. Who's, who's your favourite philosopher? <laughs> oh no. Um, That'd be can we, include, can we include Elon in that, I would say? Oh wow. There we go. Modern more take. More. Yeah. Do you think he, he, he's a modern philosopher? Well, yeah, can't, yeah, I think so. He's got a lot of uh, ideas about life and what the right thing to do is for humanity, which is kind of the definition of ethics, isn't it? Right. There we go. Yours? I'm a Descartes man myself. Yeah. Descartes. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't got one. No. <laughs> so great. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I'm a bit like that. I don't have favourites. Don't have a favourite meal. Don't have a favourite movie. No. Uh, favourite employee. <laughs> no. Favourite sales director. Don't tell me. Definitely yeah. not. Favourite cli- client. <laughs> well, there you go. Definitely favourite client. <laughs> Thank you. We try. Of course. <laughs> So on that, how, how is things at InfoSec? Really good, actually. We've come out the other side of the difficult time that we don't talk about. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's going really well. I think we've all kind of taken a step back during that time to think about what we want to do in the future and how we want to take the business forward. And we've got some really exciting plans. And also, we weren't that busy in delivery mode for a little while. I think for about three months, we did have a bit of a dip, obviously, where everyone was kind of going, freeze everything hold hold fire so we put a lot of plans in place and did a lot of proposals and started a lot of partnerships and that kind of thing that is now paying off so we're, we're super busy we've got all that going on and we're really busy on the delivery delivery side as well where clients are kind of adjusting and thinking we still need to carry on with hiring even though even though it's a bit different to what we're used to you know there's the whole recruiting remotely piece which mm. most companies are doing pretty well um so, what yeah. does recruiting remotely look like um, obviously things like Skype interviews, right. uh, Teams interviews, um, the whole interview process remotely. But then the difficult bit is the onboarding, I think, because obviously that's such a personal thing and making sure that the team culture is there and team fit. So there's been a lot of kind of thought leadership going on around how to onboard somebody remotely effectively. Mm-hmm. But actually a lot of people are doing it really well. And I think there's so many ways that you can get your culture across without having to necessarily do it face-to-face. Obviously, ideal scenario is you do it face-to-face. But I think if your company's kind of values and mission and everything are really kind of tied into what you do, then you can get that culture across. Mm. It's, a, it's a new thing, isn't it? I mean, we've discussed this a lot internally and with our customers is mm. like, there is a lot you can do via Zoom, via Teams. Yeah. And it's been, you know, saved I think in a lot of respects, but mm. you know, this body language, isn't there? There's all the, the kind of things that are missed out. Yeah. And, you know, Interestingly, yeah, psychologically as well, there's, you know, everyone's talking about Zoom doom and stuff and how tiring it is being on Zoom all day. 
but that is because you have to work so much harder to pick up those clues the you know, mm. kind of psychological clues that you would usually pick up just from sitting opposite somebody you have to kind of really really concentrate to pick up those signals so mm. Mm. it's yeah it's tiring and i think you you know it's, it's definitely not the same as face to face is it but thank god this happened now and not 20 years ago i think it would have been a very different experience for everybody and particularly in business i don't think it would have happened 20 years ago no <laughs> well would. Yeah. Maybe. Well, let's not go down that Well, I had that chat the other day with someone, and um, you know, it might not have happened twenty years ago. But if it did, can you, you know, I took you know, think of what my life was like twenty years ago. Mm -hmm. We'd be watching. We might, we might have had DVDs, mm. wouldn't we? We there and. You know, I think we had PS1s by then, didn't we? There yeah, would have been a lot of Crash Bandicoot. Nokia phone. We were still dialing up, weren't we? We were still on yeah. a 56k modem 20 years yeah. ago. Did we have The Sims by then? I think if we'd have had The Sims, I'd have been For fine. For game? Yeah. You were a fan of The Sims? Oh, yeah. I think my early teenage years were oh. mostly The Sims and MSN Messenger. I remember MSN Messenger. Good times. Things were simple then. <laughs> It's that noise, isn't it? Mine was Donkey Kong. Oh yeah, <laughs> can't, you can't beat that. I've got a snares at home actually, right. and um, sort of picked back up with the Donkey Kong during <laughs> during lockdown. Home to my skills. Street Fighter Two. Yeah. yeah. Just trying to desperately remember the Donkey Kong tune. What was it? No, it's not too young. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But anyway, things are going well at InfoSet. <clears throat> we are doing things other than playing video games. Because you were, um, I mean, you were in a, a real growing, thriving space, weren't you? The yeah. Cybersecurity, you, you know, being a, a boutique recruitment consultancy in that area. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think we're perfectly positioned as well in Cheltenham where we are. Um, there's so much going on in the local area in cyber. There has been for a while, but obviously it's really kind of ramped up over the last couple of years with the cyber park plans and everything else going on. So we're in a really good place to, to kind of capitalise on that. But also just the kind of networking side as well. You know, it's a really small world in cyber generally. You know, a lot of, We recruit nationally, so our clients are all over the place and it is very much two degrees of separation really in the cyber industry, but in particularly in Cheltenham, it's, you know, everybody knows everyone. Mm. Um, and it's really nice to be to be part of that, but also to utilise it and to be able to add value to it as well. Because obviously we're a supplier, we're not in the cyber industry, we're a supplier into the cyber industry. So not many people and not many kind of functions can have that high level overview of all these different businesses and how they're all working differently. And then kind of use that knowledge to improve each other you know we can say this is what your competitors are doing in regards to recruitment and right. this is what's working really well for them and so you've got that you're you're in it but you're out of yeah. it and can see the bigger picture right yeah so, exactly yeah. yeah that's interesting yeah i mean we you know we're not we're not sub, you know immersed in cyber mm. but we know what goes where and we know what works and we've seen businesses grow we've seen for example, Deep3, who are a local cyber company, um, started up and, I mean, I, th I think maybe five years ago now, um, and have grown massively and have just sold out to CACI, who are kind of a, a national cyber company. So just to kind of watch those cyber companies grow and thrive and, and eventually sell if that's what they want to do and to be such a big part of that because we kind of hired their senior bodies and then hired their teams underneath. That's really really cool to be able to watch that process and, and be part of it and mm. kind of advise as well on what what they should be doing in regards to hiring I mean you've seen you know on the on the news that lots of you know cyber criminals will exploit anything and mm. you know here it comes they're trying to exploit people's emotions around the pandemic yeah. I, mean, I mean are you seeing you know what your clients saying and they're saying yes you know we need a Mm. a CISO more than ever or, yeah. or is that all that all that's a luxury item you know we'll hold that for now or what, what are you hearing no well I think we've seen a lot of transformation projects recently where obviously everybody's moving into the cloud um, the businesses that have already been in the cloud and already been working remotely which is all about reciprocal trust and stuff like that you know that's not just in regards to cyber but businesses that were already set up 
to kind of work from home, work from that WFA, work from anywhere culture mm. have been the ones that have easily kind of got through, well, no one's easily got through this, but who have found it easier to get through it. Um, in regards to clients, generally their kind of um, approach to security hasn't really changed that much. I think, I don't think anybody is cutting their security budget, particularly because everybody is working from home and if anything, the training and awareness side of security is actually even more important because you haven't got, let's say you're, you know, your security person in the room, you know, next to you, you're really responsible for your own security at home and you really have to have those policies and procedures in place. That's where you get your kind of governance, risk and compliance people coming in. Mm. And um, I, th I think everyone's attitude to security is, has certainly hasn't reduced. If anything, it's increased, I would say. And certainly at that high level as well, our kind of bigger companies that we work with haven't flinched really at bringing in CISOs, CIOs, CTOs. Yeah, yeah. That's all still going ahead. I don't, I don't think you can. I think especially your change is always dangerous. Your change that you plan for is dangerous. Yeah. Change that comes on to you like this, you know, it's there's loads of risks going on, isn't there? So I think that's a yeah, definitely. But we, I mean, we were very lucky at Infosec. We're not lucky. We were prepared in that we were very easily able to lift and shift. And work from home. You know, literally the next day we were up and running as we normally would be, thanks to our excellent IT company. Um, <laughs> Who's that? Uh, yeah, first solution. Yeah. <laughs> first solution technology. Um, yeah, it was it was really good, and we didn't have any kind of service interruption at all. So that was that was really positive. And I think if anything, this has brought everybody forward, hasn't it? And made anyone who was a little bit behind in those areas has had no choice but to invest in those areas. Which I mean, can it, be a good thing. You should just be able to do it. I mean, it shouldn't yeah. even be a consideration. You shouldn't break stride. You shouldn't have to think about it for a moment. It, yeah. it should be just to everyone go home. Yeah. And everyone goes home and cracks on with it. Yeah. That's from a technology perspective, a process perspective, a culture perspective, a performance perspective. It's kind of all of those things outside of the technology. But you need to have practiced it yeah. in a safe environment for it to work in a acute situation definitely there's also the trust side of it as well though and the cultural side because if you you know if there's a business that has 50 people that have never worked from home before that's a management minefield there um the majority of people probably will be fine but obviously you're going to get the old one who uses it as an excuse to sit on crash bandicoot all day um donkey kong donkey kong yeah <laughs> we have a 90s video game of choice <laughs> <laughs> And Tet don't start talking about Tetris in a minute, then you'll all be in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Game Boy. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean I think that you know, a lot of these technologies, you know, teams and, and things like that, mm. it, it's such a huge deep platform that yeah. you know, even us as, you know, Microsoft partners, you know, consider ourselves experts in that platform are learning all the time mm. you know it's it's just accelerating at a pace yeah it's ever-changing isn't it i think we are because we're so close to what's going on in tech generally we're quite aware of what we need to be doing and what kind of improvements we need to to make sort of as and when they happen we've already had things like two-factor authentication put in on office accounts we're already in the cloud we already had everybody on laptops but not everybody did so hopefully going forward, everyone will, and it'll be smoother. Mm -hmm. We've had customers buying desktops. Yeah. They go, why did we do that? Why yeah. did we do that? We've had other customers force themselves to buy laptops and be very grateful for that moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah. The death of the desktop. COVID-19, the death of the desktop. And I think the next thing is the, we touched upon it a little bit, but circling back to it is that whole, you know, is it nine to five in the office? Mm. You know, when touch would sooner rather than later, you know, this is over. Mm. You know, are we going to go back to nine to five in the office? Are you know, are yeah. we going to see a, a change or a split? Yeah. So I'm from a kind of HR background originally, so it's really interesting to look at that with a HR hat on, because it makes you question. Well, for example, at Infosec, we were all really keen to get back to the office, which I think says everything. It says a lot. 
everybody was desperate to see each other, couldn't wait to be all back together and just really wanted to collaborate and talk, talk, yeah, mm. and just chat and just, you know, we're, Enjoy we're a really yourselves. tight team, yeah, exa exactly. So I think it's really important, that will never be replaced, that will never be replaced, I think, that collaborative culture and the kind of idea sharing, the, the kind of ideas that you, you know, you, over, over lunch or whatever, you might just make a few notes or, you know, on a beer mat or something, and then that'll turn into something really exciting. You don't get that with a kind of scheduled Teams call, do you? So no. I don't think that will ever be replaced. But I think There's an erosion of it though, isn't there? So, I mean, that's human nature, that's social interaction, that's people behaving as traditionally humans have behaved, but the change is happening so quickly. Yeah. You know, you look at the kids on their devices and, you know, you see them sat in restaurants and they're just staring at their, they're not talking to each other. So that interaction mm. is gone. Or, or it, not gone entirely because they still look up and make eye contact but it's significantly diminished mm. so the next you know you are a generation before me eh? but the next generation beyond that probably maybe they won't Perhaps well there's a theory actually that it'll go the other way though and everyone right. gets so sick of screens obviously certain things have to be done on screens now but there's a theory that our entertainment will actually come off screen again because it's almost peaked and people will get sick of it. I mean, it's reached saturation. Yeah. Oh, well, that would be nice. I would be pleased to see that. That would be a positive, yeah. a positive aspect, wouldn't it? Yeah. But in regards to being in the office, I think it depends on, obviously, what sector you're in. And we're assuming that everyone is office-based. Obviously, a lot of people need to have core hours and things. Of course, yeah. But certainly in our office, it's kind of never been about FaceTime anyway. I think if you're delivering your job and if you're doing what you're what you said you were going to do, then it's not, you don't, you don't need to be glued to your desk nine to five, you know, if you, if you want to go home and work. I mean, philosophically, outcome-based, outcome you know, management or outcome-based performance management mm. is brilliant. Yeah. It? So you think, well, this is what I want you to do. I don't care how you do it, when you do it, as long as you show me at the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month, mm -hmm. that's what to do. And when you're in a sales-led organisation, that's easy because yeah. it's obvious. When they're, you know, when you're in a service-based organisation, it becomes more difficult because you actually then want to drive efficiency and utilisation. So, you know, I don't want to do. I want the guys to deal with fifty calls this month, not thirty. So yeah, the outcome changes, it constantly shifts. Yeah, you can't make everything measurable, can you? You can't no. put metrics onto everything, but it will soon become apparent if somebody's not doing their job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's kind of more, it, it, there's less loss if you get kind of somebody taking the mick every now and then, rather than yes. a whole culture of micro, micro and nano yeah, management. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the other dilemma for me is that we'll, when you get to this, you you lose you run the potential of losing the core function of the home. Yeah. And with home family, and with family community, you know, etc. And it just keeps mm. rolling, and that's a bit of a you know yeah. a concern for that's me. That's something that. I found actually after lockdown. So I've moved my staff back into the office now because we're back in kind of a few days a week. I've noticed that home just feels like home again. So I live in I live in a flat, and I kind of felt like it was my office as well. And having that separation was really difficult, actually. Mm -hmm. So having the separation of my kit being in the office, even if I do need to work from home the odd day, I, I can. I could take my laptop home, but the majority of my stuff is in the office. So when I'm at home, I actually feel like I'm at home. And I think that's really important. You know, if you have mm -hmm. got a home office and you've got separate areas that you can work in it's probably slightly easier to have that separation but if you haven't it's really difficult and so many people haven't got that I've got friends who live in a one-bedroom flat with a partner you know and they're two of them trying to work in one room it's really difficult when we were chatting to uh, the group CTO of a customer of ours called Liaison Financial Services yesterday and he says it's ridiculous I've got people sat at home on their breakfast bars running three screens yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's beyond the pale, you know, and, it, and 
So, so that's a dilemma, you know, that that business has got to face because they've said we're not coming back until next year. Mm. No one needs to come back until next year. Yeah, um, we've got companies like Twitter and also my brother's company. My brother's a graphic designer, um, who have said work from home forever if you want to. Yeah. So there's that that side of things as well. But I think people, like I said, will want some FaceTime. I mean, if it's outcome based, you know, the business is there to help support that outcome with the facilities it has at its disposal, yeah. right? Yeah, whatever um, they may be. Whatever they may be. I mean, you know, we're all learning about this and, you know, my view is, you know, completely uneducated, but I feel like, you know, what Bruce Gregory has done at Hub 8 feels yeah. like kind of the right spot. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, you come really... in, you've got that presentation platform, you've got the hot deskings, you've got the, you know, he would describe it a lot more elegantly, but the cube meeting spaces and things, it just feels kind of right for perhaps what we're moving into. Yeah. Modern. Modern. Yeah. yeah, we're so lucky in Shelton to have that space, particularly in the cyber community. We've got Hub 8, which is partnered with Sinem, obviously Bruce Gregory, as he says, is the director of both. And he has really kind of been quite forthcoming in making that space accessible for the cyber startups, cyber scale-ups, encouraging that collaborative space. Mm. Things like events, so Madeline Howard, who's also one of the Sinam directors, is um, on a secondment with the NCSC, with the Cyber First Schools Group. And so she's had schools events in there, in Hub 8, where obviously encouraging young people into cyber. And to have a space where we can freely use that as a community is invaluable and not many other places have got that. You could say that Lorca in London have got that, they've got Plexel um, and there's a few other smaller spaces but to have that for a town the size of Cheltenham is, is incredible. Yeah, um, I mean the, lots of towns have got that kind of space but, but for it to be recognised for that activity that's the differentiators yeah it? and it's enabling the growth of it as well i think mm. we've got so many facilities that are enabling the growth of cyber in cheltenham i mentioned about the schools thing we've got fantastic schools in cheltenham but at the moment we're building that talent to let it go whereas gloucestershire college are doing the kind of degree level cyber apprenticeships you've got um loads of work going on with the schools to kind of encourage people into the industry and I think retaining that talent is something that Cheltenham needs to work on and is what well, is working on mm -hmm. over the next kind of 10 it's to 20 drain, years. Drain, drain. Yeah. I mean, it's a challenge for Cheltenham, you know, and you see them building retirement home after retirement home after retirement home on, you know, but to actually retain young people and give the town a bit of vibrancy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there is, even in the, the last five years, it has been brought forward a lot, I think, there's so there's a lot going on in Cheltenham now that wasn't there five years ago. Obviously, we've always had the festivals and things like that, but mm. there's a lot more accessible things. I think it's, so. for, it's for people from outside, though. That isn't it. That's the odd thing. Yeah. It's for it's to attract people in. We're really good at attracting yeah. people in. And it's expensive as well. Yeah. Generally, I think for the young for young people, there needs to be a lot more free events. But there are now venues, uh, even the Frog and Fiddle, which is kind of a student venue, but they've got the oh, music yeah. venue out at the back. Mm. There's a lot more independent chains. I mean, we've spoken about restaurants and things in Cheltenham there's, yeah. a, there's some really good independent restaurants opening it's a and planning it's a planning issue isn't it and I remember meeting a guy at an event like it was a pinpoint medium event I think and he they're on it they're thinking about it aren't they yeah. and I think as the high street starts to transform we see a transformation of the high street then I think that's the opportunity because you go to Manchester you know 15 years ago Manchester's town centre was dead on a Saturday morning mm. and now Lots of uh, accommodation, lots of accommodation affordable to young people. And the city centre is taking on a life of its own. Mm. You know, and it attracts people to it as opposed to pushes people away from it. So I think they need just to put some housing in place. Yeah, well, this is where the cyber park comes in. The cyber park's an interesting one because it's the size of the city of London. I think they're planning on picking up spades by 2024 and starting work on it. And that's a whole mixture of i think it's thousands of houses schools right, right. obviously the actual cyber park itself transport links so that's a huge opportunity right. and that will definitely change the town mm. so we'll see to be uh, continued is that as they move gchq to manchester well i think did i say that out loud <laughs> cut cut yeah they're listening now they're listening now <laughs> <laughs>
well, we'll, we'll always have we'll always have GCHQ here, and we'll we'll always have that cyberpark, and I think yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it will always be we've we've put the work in now to make it that that cyber hub, and there will be opportunities here. I think a lot of people do leave Cheltenham because they feel like a there's not much going on, and b there's no jobs here. There will be jobs here, and there will be more going on. Stuff so, going on. yeah. So I mean, that's that's all we can do to try and retain the talent, really. Yeah. I mean, I think the elephant in the room here which you touched upon is that you know you've done you guys have done a massive job in terms of building that cyber community mm. in the area in Sinem, which would be yeah so infosex infosex director chris donning walton is also the founding director of cyber cheltenham Sinem. so we are very involved in that community it started just as a few people a couple of um, local directors of cyber companies basically getting together and collaborating and trying to it well, actually started as a meetup event and then it's just grown exponentially and now it's uh, three events a year um, that have well the last face-to-face -face one I think had 300 people on but then there was the virtual event in July that had I think about 1200 people in the end so that reach has massively improved and some of the events are more technical, aimed at more of a more of a technical audience. But some of the events are very much accessible to anybody um, about just what cyber is and and the different kind of areas within cyber. I was mentioning to you earlier about the the health tech one, which was at the science festival last year, the Champ Science Festival, and there was speakers from NHSX about the ethics of the pacemakers and everything. And I think all of that stuff is interesting to anybody you don't have to be yeah. necessarily in the cyber community to to be to have an opinion on that or to listen to what the developments are in that kind of area and i think just opening up the industry and making it accessible to everybody is phase one really of trying to get people to work in the industry and getting young people involved yeah. as well yeah i mean I, I yeah i always try and try to attend i mean i think i was at that event it was a good one mm. I, I think you know, like you say, making it quite inclusive and, you know, not just techies is, yeah. you know, you, you've done a great job there. I mean, I think my favourite was the, um, there was a guy from the Hinkley Power Station. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was great. And, you know, just talking about how you build cybersecurity into something as, you know, valuable and dangerous as that, you know, he was talking about, um, you know, how they had like a physical shut off. So this is you know, a pure separation that you know only hands could, you know, uh, could shut down the station, the power station in the event of something catastrophic happening. Yeah. The level of detail and thinking, you know, is know. just something else. Yeah, the crossover from cybersecurity to physical security actually isn't as wide as you think it was. There, no. it does cross over a lot. Another. Well, they're inseparable. Yeah. yeah and I think if you think any other way, then you. Lost. You're, you're lost yeah they're inseparable it's, yeah it's actually all about human beings isn't it definitely another good sp uh, uh, speaker at that sign am was um the guy who was speaking about the wearable tech and it was almost like a fitbit but for kids so adults so parents could track where their kids were but it was really easily hackable and you could kind of make it look like your kids were somewhere where they weren't and stuff like that and that's quite scary isn't it mm. It gets a bit of science fiction, doesn't it? Yeah, and but it's not, it's reality. It's, it's reality, and, and you know, we're, we're going at a pace, you know, I mean, I've recently got a, like a ring internal camera. Mm. I mean, my life is, you know, monotonously boring, yeah. but, but you know, you do, you're in there, just being filmed all the time. Mm. You know, that's That data is going to the cloud, being stored somewhere. I'm not really that sure as to where. Yeah. You know, and... You know, we do a lot of these things, you know, IoT, big data, you know, all these different kinds of, you know, big trends coming along. And, you know, there isn't too much thought about the ethics or, you know, the risks surrounding it, um, which yeah. I think, you know, you're kind of driving here, right? So. Well, five of us at InfoSec did, just not long before lockdown, we did our CISMP, which is Certificate in Information Security Management Principles qualification a bit of a mouthful um but that was really valuable and actually i kind of think everyone should do it because i now know you know the bandwidth of your iot fridge can be used to you know as a hacking thing and and chase like you around that. the room or something. yeah i mean it's it's just crazy that how much goes on that you just don't think about because you're not 
directly involved in it but in the world where everybody is using technology constantly and everybody has wearable tech you know, my gran is on an ipad bless her mm. um i think everybody should know not what the risks are as such because you don't want to make it all doom and gloom it's a really positive thing but everyone needs to be aware don't they of, of what's going on but as i was saying it's not all technical stuff i think there's so there's so this is why it's really important to kind of talk about cybersecurity as a as a bigger picture because all the training and awareness stuff and the GRC stuff is not technical at all and it's so accessible to everyone. Yeah, that was the last physical one you did at the racehorse, wasn't it? About yeah. user security, wasn't it? And I think you you had um, uh, one of the directors from the NCSC along. Yeah. And, you know, she was very wisely talking about, okay, you know, we always, and I think us as, you know, um, you know technology professionals, there is a, a, a kind of tendency to start blaming the user you know it, we, it's on the user the user's the weak point mm. um you know her point was like well hang on you're asking a you know a non-technical person you know to remember 10 passwords mm. is that reasonable mm. you know <laughs> the 10 passwords that are going to change every month is that reasonable yeah. they don't then they fail to achieve that it's their fault yeah it's about having good hygiene as well isn't it cyber hygiene so things like using a password manager you know making sure your updates are done all the basic things i almost think you need like a driving license kind of thing mm. to be able to use tech really to be able to live yeah yeah, yeah. even well, ha you know having your webcams covered it's so easy i understand to hack a webcam and not many people have got their webcams covered on their laptops no no i mean I think that that one there was a there was a really good one. A guy was talking about the best um, cybersecurity campaigns uh, in terms of from a phishing perspective, um, and he said the one that had the best result was um, best is probably the wrong word because they're obviously bad things. But um, you know, just a button that said click here. I don't know yeah. if you remember that one. I mean, it's yeah. almost irresistible, isn't it? Yeah, it's just again it taps into psychology, doesn't it? Because if you know you shouldn't do something, you want to do it more. <laughs> I think that's mm -hmm. cybersecurity, really. Hackers tap into that. And then you get the whole spear phishing and targeted, targeted stuff. attacks yeah. and yeah. Um, eavesdropping even as well. You know, I, if I was on a train recently and could overhear a whole conversation with bank details and everything like that, and it's so easy. Mm. So easy if you wanted to. Do you think there's a, a right person? You know, what, what are the skills... That are required to make it in the cybersecurity uh, industry. Um, I would say it's almost the other way around. I think I would say you almost need to look at what skills have you got, and therefore where do you fit in the cyber industry? Because there's so many different roles. We cover everything at Infosec from kind of DevSecOps, uh, security operations, um, business analysts, project managers, software developers, all of that side of things. Mm. But then also security consultants, as I mentioned, governance, risk compliance, policy. So there's, there's loads. Yeah, it's, so, it's so broad. Yeah. It's so broad. So I wouldn't say you need a particular set of skills to get into, into it. But also there's the diversity piece as well. There's a lot of work going on. I know the University of Gloucestershire are doing some work with how to make the industry more diverse, because obviously it is very male heavy, firstly, but also doesn't have a lot of neurodiversity as well. And a lot of neurodiverse individuals would absolutely thrive in you know technological roles yeah. but we need to make sure that the hiring processes firstly are accessible for people who are from different backgrounds and who are for example neurodiverse mm. but it starts sooner than that as well we need to make sure that schools and colleges and courses in cyber are tailored to everybody how do you promote neurodiversity in cyber? How do you do that? That's a big question. That is a big question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, again, as, as I said, I know the University of Gloucestershire are doing a lot of work on that. I think um, Emma Philpott, I asked me, yeah. is a big driver of that one. Yeah. yeah. What neurodiversity, as in just different people with different minds away yeah. from the classic stereotypical gear? Yeah, yeah, things like learning difficulties, ADHD, all of that, all of that stuff. And basically just saying that you don't have to go the whole the whole point the wider point is that you don't have to go down a traditional route to get into cyber you don't have to go necessarily to university obviously you can go to university but 
if you don't, it doesn't mean that door's closed for you. Right. And looking at transferable skills as well from people who want to come in from other sectors, because I think it's sometimes seen as kind of big, scary thing. You have to know all the acronyms and you have to know about hacking and all of that. And that's in reality, not, not the case at all. Mm. It's technical though, isn't it? It's technical. Yeah. And it lends itself to a certain kind of mind. And if you, you know, subscribe yeah. to the fact that this mind works in that way and that mind works in that way and, you know, never the twain shall meet, you know, it's just a bit of a challenge. How do you get a creative, fine art graduate into cyber? Yeah, <laughs> but then that's where you get the role of the CISO has been under a lot of change over the last few years because it was originally a very technical role, I think, and then yeah. and then now it's at, at board level, really, and making really high-level decisions and having an overarching view on the business as a whole, which is a really good thing. Well, I mean, yeah, I think it's kind of trying to remove the us v them thing, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, I think in a lot of organisations, you know, people working within it see cybersecurity as a burden. Mm -hmm. That You know, I can't do what I need to do because you know, the password thing or the authentication thing is you know, hampering my productivity. And I think it's turning it around to say, well, actually, it's, yeah. it's, it's helping you out. It's helping you yeah. achieve your own personal ambitions and goals. Definitely. Um, That's difficult, though, isn't it? It's an aspiration, isn't it? It is, yeah. it, it is because cause it's, it, to turn it from a protection to an enabler, you know, to a must-have, to something that enables, enables productivity, I'm not sure how you'd bridge that gap. How would you, mm. I, I mean, I hadn't given it much consideration before now, but how would you, how do you turn cyber into an enabler of productivity and, cultural growth and emotional development how do you do that yeah well it is all about that it's all about cultural growth i think i think cultures from the top down and i think having cyber and CISOs, for example on the board is yes. is step one because yeah. they bring that into those high level conversations and then people do people do social learning, right? So if they'll imitate behaviours. So if they see somebody, for example, yeah, their absolutely. line manager or whatever, do something, they'll probably do the same, and oh, that's how it's done here. And it's all about implementing that from the top down, I think. Oh, I mean, my favourite story from a customer, and they'll remain nameless for the sake of confidentiality, mm. but the IT director used to go around to all the director's desks, this is a few years ago, I mean, they've gone beyond this now, and he used to take pictures of their desks. Uh, and often on the pictures of the desk, there would be post-it notes, upon which the post-it notes would be passwords. Yeah. And he would post them at the beginning of his bit of the presentation in the boardroom of all the individuals, because they were deep into ISO 27001. And he would just embarrass them, yeah. you know. And it's a bit blunt, but it created a cultural change in the organisation at the highest level that then disseminated down through the organisation. And that's my kind of favourite, you know, really simple, straightforward, mm. no whistles, no thrills, just yeah. just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a bit carrot or stick, isn't it? If yeah. you tell someone they've got to do something, they probably, unless they see why, they won't do it. Yeah. But if they, if they realise what the point is and what the repercussions are, if they don't do it, then they'll start to do it. Yeah. But it's also about like I was saying about bringing different skills into cyber as well, I think, because notoriously your kind of more technical people aren't the people who will be good at managing big teams and implementing new behaviours and things. I mean, that's a very generalising statement, mm. but generally. Um, so you do need those softer skills as well to come in and promote cyber from that side and from the training development awareness side. And that's where it's more accessible. And that's where, you know, people always talk about the cyber skills gap. But, I mean, there isn't hugely a cyber skills gap. It's more about embracing the skills that we do have and tailoring them and finessing we them. We like there for to be a gap, though, don't we? Yeah. You know, I think we just like the, well, we need to bridge the gap. <laughs> yeah. But there isn't a gap. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also about, you know, obviously what we see in the day-to-day -day infosec is recruitment processes as well. People will not know what they're looking for, um, partly because they are not perhaps in cyber themselves. You know, if they're a CEO mm. of a scale-up company that are just starting to think, oh, we need a cyber team, 
they might not know what that is necessarily and what they're looking for so they'll need some some advice on that and that's kind of where we can come in and tell them what's worked for companies in similar positions to them and what kind of people they might look for we can benchmark it against the market and things like that but when people don't know what they're looking for that makes recruiting really hard yes because it's impossible where do you start if you don't know where you're trying to get to it doesn't matter what direction you go in yeah so but they don't know what they're recruiting for but often they don't know what they're protecting against either so yeah. so it's, it's the issue becomes even more acute doesn't it because i kind of always consider myself and i and i'm quite cyber aware mm -hmm. but i don't consider myself to be cyber aware because it's not something that i have made a deliberate effort to learn mm -hmm. but just being around it you become aware and i don't know I was listening to the wife on the phone and it was a bank fraud mm. and the bank was asking her questions and I was listening to her answers and I, I just knew instinctively that it was a fraud even though I couldn't hear the other side of the conversation just from the answers that she was giving I knew that she was delivering compromised info or compromisable information to the individual and I could imagine the question that I said just stop put the phone down. Mm. Mm. She went, why? I said, put the phone down. Yeah. So she put the phone down and then it was a scam. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you do, but because you're in it all day, you, you know it and you can you send, you, get, you get a sense of it. And you think it's easy, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got to stay frosty. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think it is all a cultural thing. Obviously, there is the, te the technical side as well. But if um, you're probably, you know, as, as you're kind of running a business, if you're quite cyber aware without even realising it, then you probably are passing that down without even realising it. Of course, yes. But then maybe you need somebody in to formalise that and policy, put it into a policy and procedure. And again, that's not a technical role. That's a cyber role, but it's not a technical role. So there's so many opportunities in the industry. Yeah. But it almost feels like, you know, even the act of, you know, you didn't have a CISO before, now you have a CISO mm -hmm. will have an effect in terms of the culture of cybersecurity, yeah. like, who's this person? Yeah. Oh, wow. There's also the legislation side as well. Obviously, we haven't got much choice now, but to be aware of it as a business with GDPR coming in, you have to be aware of where your data is and what you're doing mm. with it and how secure it is. Quite often you need a DPO and things like that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And and how about recruitment in general? How do you, how, how do you see the recruitment industry going... Yeah, it's interesting actually. I think lockdown and COVID has had a massive impact on the recruitment industry. Re recruitment always sees a recession before anybody else really, or certainly early days. And I think it will sort the wheat from the chaff a little bit in recruitment and hopefully it's a bit of an opportunity. Sounds like he's gone to the toilet. <laughs> he's not, <laughs> I promise. He's not in the water. <laughs> <laughs> the the shortest wee in the world ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this studio boosts a bit. <laughs> Why is there any rhinos over? Um, so, yeah, I think it's an opportunity to really really improve the recruitment industry, actually, and to kind of get rid of that horrible, fastest finger first, word matching on a job board reputation that recruitment's got, because that won't fly anymore. Um, so, well, certainly not in anything higher than the kind of day-to-day -day tempy stuff. In anything, you know, we do contract and perm recruitment, um, and as I said, it is it is more consultative, consultative, and I think that that's what people need now. And I think it's an opportunity for recruitment to to be a brilliant service and to prove itself almost that how valuable it is. And I think businesses will partner with recruiters more than kind of go out to five recruiters. I'll send us whatever you got. And I think businesses will realise why that doesn't work. It kind of um, implements a, a race mentality amongst recruiters and they're going oh I've got to send that person because I've got to do it before my competitor does without really going into the depths of vetting them properly or you know I always would like to get into a shared risk position yeah uh, you know and having used recruitment agencies myself you know my desired outcome is always well I need six months to really understand whether that individual is right for this business. Yeah. What I don't need is a three month sliding scale on a return of fees. Yeah. I need, so I need us to share the risk. Yeah, I get that. But 
if we're talking about shared risks, a lot of the contingency recruitment that we do is no win, no fee. So that's 100% risk for us right up until the point you make the offer. So it is kind of shared risk in that sense, We, which is why at InfoSec we are massively moving towards more um, retained and engaged searches and we are having really good results with that. So some some statistics for you. <laughs> if, you do a, if you do a contingency recruitment search, so you just go oh, multi-agency, so I need a security analyst, send me some CVs. The chance of filling that role is 19.7% because it'll go back and forth a million times, you'll get the same CVs from multiple places, there'll be loads of poor quality, you know, let's throw, throw it at the wall and see if it sticks coming to you. If you do an exclusive search, we work with one agency, that goes up to 63.4%. And if you do an engaged search, so that's a full kind of deep dive into um, you know, market mapping and advisory piece and reporting and everything like that, then it's 76% chance of filling that role. So it's actually in your interest to work with your recruitment partner 50-50 and not have that no win, no fee thing. It takes a bit of a shift in thinking, and I'm trying to avoid using the word culture over and over again, but it takes yeah. this, a shift in thinking within the recruiting organisation because we're so preconditioned to recruitment companies behaving in a certain way. Yeah, and so obviously it has recruitment has got its reputation because of companies behaving in that way, but I think yeah. in this market those companies won't survive because that's not... It's, there's no value add there. They're not doing anything different to 10 other people, 10 other businesses in who are just throwing CVs at you and hoping that they stick. But um, I think also in regards to your yeah recruitment supplier, you always need to vet your supplier like you would with an accountant or, mm. um, or a cybersecurity consultant or whatever. Mm. Why would you not vet your recruitment? Oh, they're a recruitment company, that'll do. I think there almost needs to be a change in name, doesn't there? Mm. You know, so well, so you become have... in-house search and selection as opposed to yeah. recruitment, you know, uh, you know, the hub for business growth, yeah. you know, people-centred, whatever. That's where we at InfoSec are kind of leading the way a little bit because we've partnered with Lorca, for example, who are a cyber accelerator based in London, and we're just offering free advice to their scale-up and start-up cohorts on on recruiting and how to recruit effectively, how to, firstly, how to use a recruiter effectively if you want to, but we don't really want them to. We want them to be able to do it themselves, but how, to, how your interview process should look. As mm -hmm. I said, the diversity piece, how to make sure your time to hire is effective. So we, we look at a 30-day time to hire, ideally, from this is what I'm looking for to an offer. Gosh, that's quicker it than I quick, imagined. But yeah, that's yeah, in yeah. this market, it's a candidate-led market. We've, there's so many, unfortunately, you know, due to the current scenario, there's so many candidates on the market that you need to snap, snap them up, basically. Mm. And you need to kind of have a really good employer brand, which is completely different to having a brand that you sell. It's having yeah. an employer brand is a completely different thing. Oh, oh, those are nice guys. I'd like to work for them, or guys and girls. Um, people. people. <laughs> Folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, you might hear of a company go, oh, I've heard they're a really good place to work. And that's what you want. Yeah, yeah. And so we've been doing that piece about how to create a good employer brand, etc., in our mentoring sessions. And hopefully people will start to see the value of recruitment because when you use an agency, they kind of do all that for you. They will sell your employer brand to candidates. They will map the market for you. They'll help you scope whether your job description covers everything you need to cover, need it to cover, whether it's reporting to the right person, whether it has the right person reporting into it, whether the salary is correct, etc. So recruiters do a lot, and I think we are starting to move away from the idea that recruitment is that. I mean, it's a brave move, say, for you and Chris to go. Let's stop calling ourselves recruiters. Yeah, well, stop people using are, the word because the word's too, you know, maligned. Yeah, I think people have started using talent acquisition instead. Mm. But I think instead, actually, we should we should use the recruitment word and we should be proud of it and we should change. Oh, okay. We should change what it means because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the other way. <laughs> yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with being recruiters. I don't think it's yeah. a bad thing at all. I think you just need to do it in the right way. Yeah. Um, and make sure you're doing that value add and. 
Also, I think about it's about building networks as well. So we, again, that's where being a kind of industry speci specialist really comes into it because we already have a massive network through Sinam and through everything else that we do and just through, like I said earlier, the two degrees of separation, everybody knows everybody bit, you know, Chris has been doing cybersecurity recruitment for 15 years. So we already know if you say I need a software engineer, for example, we already know probably 20 people within 10 miles of your business that could potentially be an option. Whereas if if it's kind of not a specialist recruitment agency, they'll go on a job board, they'll Google, you know, literally search, do a Boolean search for software engineer in Cheltenham. They'll get the same people that everybody else is getting. What value is there in doing that? You could do that yourself. It's a point of administration, isn't it? Yeah. So I think having that, that extra service and engaging with a recruitment company that actually does know the industry and has got networks within the industry is is really important something i'm quoting chris here but he always says the access to talent has never been easier everybody's got linkedin everybody there's no there's no value anymore no in having a hard, database of fifty thousand people no everyone's got the same database everybody's got linkedin everybody can drop anyone a message on linkedin and say i've got this job are you interested in it but engaging with that talent has never been harder because candidates are getting 50 emails a week saying yeah. I've got this job are you interested whereas if if it's somebody they know oh infosec people I worked with them to hire somebody else two years ago or I've oh I've seen them at that event or oh those guys and I know of them then they'll respond to you <laughs> better mm. yeah I mean you sort of talk about how you know technology sort of changes industry mm. and you know seeming seemingly like I think you allude alluded to Lauren is sort of the wheat from the chaff because yeah. the, if you're commoditized if you're not adding any value yeah. then you've got technology's going to take that away from you whereas if you are consulting then it's a lot harder for yeah. technology to I mean, I mean it's just a classic disruption isn't it by technology without as people really knowing you know technology if you look at LinkedIn as a technology platform it's just disrupted the recruitment market that's yeah. what's happened well it's constantly improving as well like we've got linkedin recruiter licenses and they're constantly doing updates and improving and it's all it's all machine learning and artificial intelligence actually it doesn't take a genius to plug in this is what i'm looking for in this area and bam you've got Boom. 50 people wow. there who could be right for you so if you that's not a service you anybody can do that that's not what you're paying for when you're paying a recruiter mm -hmm. You're paying for that network, you're paying for that industry knowledge, you're paying for that experience, you're paying for that mm -hmm. consultation. I mean, I think that going back to the naming thing, I think that, you know, we've taken steps to, you know, we deliberately call ourselves a technology provider yeah. rather than an IT provider. Mm. Um, you know, and, and it's a bit of a challenge sometimes because, well, you are an IT provider, right? Yes, but there's more than that. Um, you know, IT stands for information technology. So what, but I think it means so much more because you're moving just away from what people conceive you as, which is, you know, servers, networks, you know, and we are so much more than that. We are, yeah. you know, all, we extend to all parts of, you know, our customers yeah. and, and business. I mean, we'll so, end up, I mean, we'll end up as, Transformate will that end up as a transformation consultancy? Of that, I have no doubt because the technology is moving so fast mm. that it is about enabling the technology as opposed to delivering it now. So it becomes about technology enablement, not technology delivery. It's not about an engineer with a screwdriver, it's about saying, What does the business need and how can I enable this? wealth of technology yeah. to, uh, which to support is, uh, that. Which is actually very similar to recruitment, really. Kind of, your growth is your people yeah, and yeah, yeah. getting technology getting the right people, right people in yeah. and the right technology is, is yeah. paramount. Oh, indeed, yeah. Mm. question. So, really pleased to have you on today, Lauren, because you were the first non-sports-related <laughs> person to, well, we've had on the podcast. I don't know. Recruiting is quite an extreme sport. Yeah, yeah, because we didn't want to become a sports. Well, that would be quite nice. But, but yeah, it was you know really great for that. And um, although you're known for swimming in freezing temperatures, though. Yeah, I do seem to be throwing myself into the Lido on in the winter far too regularly at the moment. But um, we do we do a lot of charity work. Um, 
<clears throat> we've partnered with Winston's Wish this year, which we're still trying to maintain, even though COVID and everything else, because we think it's really important. They're a really great char charity that focus on um, bereaved children, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so we've raised quite a lot of money for them by doing the, the Lido cold water swim in February, which was I think was pretty much the last thing before lockdown. Mm -hmm. So fond memories of... How cold was it? It's four degrees. Um, and four, it, degrees. four degrees and it was wow. two wits so I did it for free on Christmas day as well two years running where you just throw yourself in the Lido and do one width and get out and it's just a nice way to start Christmas morning it's a really nice atmosphere down there people dressed up as so Santa awesome. and everything and it was good fun but this was two wits which actually was loads harder because by the end of the first width you've kind of mm -hmm. gone quite numb and yeah you just don't know where your arms and legs are I'm a big fan of Wim Hof of what? Wim Hof so Wim Hof is a uh Viking to all intents and purposes that is who believes in the value of cold so he, he coaches and trains people on taking ice baths every day and yeah. then tells people uh, what the value is to them mentally and physically and how it fights ailment yeah so, well it definitely gives you a massive adrenaline rush I'm mm -hmm. a bit of an adrenaline adrenaline junkie anyway so mm -hmm. I enjoyed it but we raised about I think about 700 quid between right. the three of us which isn't isn't too bad but we'd like to do more next year um we also did a charity 10k run probably about this time last year right. which was like a mud run with obstacles and things like that and that was really really fun and raised a bit of money for charity well, so that's the last thing we sponsored you on i can't remember what that was that was the lido swim i think yeah, thank you very much right. much appreciated yeah good cause uh, and yeah it was it was worth it and like i said it was kind of the last thing before lockdown as well so Nice fond memories, apart from turning 30, which I did about two weeks before lockdown as well. Turning 30? Yeah, that okay. was a blast. Congratulations. Thank you. you. made it. Made it, yeah. Didn't think I would. <laughs> That's a bit dark, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> have, you, um, have you had a nice... I'm imagining you're working up to the ice bath, night, and you know, at the oh, moment yeah. you, you're taking away the bubbles. Uh, I mean, I'm in the process of imagining how I'm going to buy... A, I don't know the size of it, but a wooden barrel into which I can sit and fill it with ice. So I'm in the you process. Just get a big paddling pool. Well, it, but it. It doesn't seem that hard, I'll be honest. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> this is right. Yeah, this isn't a huge problem. No, 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 it is hard. It's harder than you might imagine. A, because it's a lot of ice, and B, you've got to kind of maintain it. So you've got to, you know, you. Can, you, it can't be a swimming pool. Mm. I mean, people do it in with big houses. They do it in chest freezers. They get, you know, the old the old chest freezer. So you want a constant. It needs to always be there. It needs to be there so you can yeah. get in it every day. I mean, you start with a cold shower. If you'd have asked me about five minutes after the Lido swim, I would have told you that it's definitely not good for you. It's definitely very bad for you. But it was exhilarating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I live on the Lido Road, so I should be down there every morning anyway. Yeah, I keep trying to book, obviously you have to book in now, because yeah, they're only allowed a certain amount of people in there. I keep trying to book in, but it's... Yeah, only lane swimming. Yeah. Are indoor pools open? Yeah. David so. Lloyd's open. Is it? Yeah. As a plug for David Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> so where are my parking ticket, David Lloyd? <laughs> Free guest pass, please. <laughs> so we started the conversation around ethics... So I think now's the time to, what was it, a, a philosophy and ethics A-level? Yeah, so I mean, the, this was a long time ago, don't test me on it. You're still the most well-qualified here. <laughs> That's not saying much. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I love an insult. <laughs> Good. Good, I've got a full of them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, so there's a runaway train barreling down the railway tracks. Ahead on the tracks, there are five people tied up and unable to move. Mm. The train is headed straight toward them. You are standing some distance off in the train yard next to a lever. If you pull this lever, the, tr the, the train will switch to a different set of tracks. You notice there is one person on the side track. You've got two options. Do nothing and allow the train to kill the five people on the main track. Pull the lever diverting the train onto the side track where it will kill the one person. Okay, so this is really interesting because it ties in with artificial intelligence in regards to what Tesla are doing. Right. So Tesla are doing the whole... She knows the answer, Paul. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, well... Yeah. It's below yeah. 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 But, I mean, that is literally... Oh, is this, is this what this is about, right? So there is... 
for example, if you're in a self-driving car and someone walks out in front of you, do you yeah. save the driver? Do you save the passenger? Do you save the yeah. pedestrian? Yeah. So there's a there's a big debate about that. But I think always save five people rather than one, surely. That's what I said. That would have been my instinct. It's the wrong answer. It's wrong. My ethical opinion is wrong. Well, it shows, and I've just looked this up. So, um, the, you are uh, your ethics are based on utilitarianism mm. rather than deontological ethics. Yeah, I would say I'm quite a practical person. I think quite logically. Yeah. So. So it's, it's doing very the, unethical. the best for the greater good, whereas deontological, if I'm pronouncing it right, is about doing what is right. Mm -hmm. So it is wrong to. To pull the lever to kill the one person. That mm. is a wrong well, act. You should just let it be. Yes. Yes. Let nature take its course. Mm. Mm. So we're going to get even more intense now. Who would win a fight? <laughs> Captain America okay. versus a teenage mutant Ninja Turtle. Oof. Uh, mm, mm. Ninja Turtle, bigger, isn't it? Is it? I reckon so. They're quite hench, aren't they? They They've been putting in some work at the gym. But he's a super only soldier. One Captain America. Do you think? Oh, every time. I mean, I, do you know what? I'm not a big Marvel fan, to be honest with you. I think maybe I've got a bit of a chip on my shoulder about Marvel, and that was yeah, why I, I went with the Ninja Turtles. Fair enough. What's the other What's the other one? Not Marvel, what's the other one? DC. DC. Are you, are you, are you just not a superhero? Just not. I don't hate it. It's not, it's not my genre. Who's your favourite superhero? Wonder Woman. Mm. Or Harley Quinn, does she count? Yeah. Girl power. I'm going to show my edge again, I'm going to say the Barlin Man. Or Iron Man. <laughs> I'd wait, circle back. The Barlin Man. The Bionic Man. Oh, the Bionic Man. <laughs> Steve Austin. That counts. <laughs> Iron Man's pretty cool though, isn't he? Iron Man. I'd, I'd like to go. I, I, I don't like, I don't, it's, it's a bit too dark. Do you think? Yeah. Iron Man's too dark. Is that what you just said? Yeah. I'd go for a beer with him though. He's alright. He's the what Elon Musk, it? isn't he? Yeah. Very silly. Yeah. Um, the Hulk. The Bionic Man. <laughs> Do you remember him? Vaguely. There was, wasn't there the something thousand dollar man? That's what, sixty thousand dollar him. man? That's the same geezer. Yeah. Six million dollar man. Six. $60,000. Who would win between the $60,000 man and the $6 million? Obvious that one, isn't it? What was his powers? He just had bionic arm and he could run really fast and he, had, he was really strong and he used to save people. He could curl anything. Yeah, I mean, it was more, it's more believable. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's now, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's here now. We're here now, aren't we? Yeah. But back in the 40s, that was... Revolutionary. <laughs> I'll let that one go. <laughs> mm. You're getting a rough ride this time, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're in a, a fight to the death and you can bring one non-firearm-based weapon. I said to someone in a previous podcast, a trident, and they went, what, the nuclear bomb? <laughs> I went, no, four. <laughs> Non-mechanical? <laughs> Neptune. You went you know, like Poseidon, Neptune, the Trident. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that does seem a logical answer because you could do a lot of damage with it, couldn't you? Yeah, you could, yeah. And it's barbed as well. But you got one shot if you miss. Like, you go like that. You did say you had one shot. No, but you had, you know, if I'm there with my chainsaw, which I was saying... That's mechanical. Scary. We said firearm-based. No, firearm-based. So You'd have a my, my game, my rule. <laughs> yeah, I think. I'd have a hedge trimmer. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A cordless one. You turn up. You turn up to a fight to the death with a cordless hedge trimmer, and you'd look cool as well. Yeah. I just, I just bought a power washer. <laughs> really hurts when you hit your feet. Doing to be fair, you could, do, you could do some damage with a power washer. Oh yeah, yeah, some of them are yeah. quite good, aren't they? They cut through metal, some of them. Mm. There we go. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, uh, I used to play a lot of archery. Play? Do you play archery? I don't know. I used to do archery. I don't play it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so I'd probably take a bow and arrow just because I know how to use it. Oh, God. Yeah, a tool is valuable if you know how to use it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could be deadly. I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast and there was some guy that was saying, like, basically you can get a bow and arrow powerful enough to go through, like, four inches of metal and stuff. There we go. I need yeah. one of those. Who were the bow and arrows in the... the uh, Lord of the Rings. Who had the bow and arrows in the Lord of the Rings? The fairies, was it the fairies? Was it the trolls? I don't know. It's been oh, a while the, since elves. Since the elves. That's it. That's it. Oh, uh, Orlando. <laughs> Orlando Bloom. Should have remembered that yeah. one. <laughs> You're thinking of um, Peter Pan. <laughs> you can only eat one carb for the rest of your life. Mm. I appreciate there's more carbs than this, but bread, potatoes, rice or pasta? Potato. I have potato probably three times a day in various forms. Wow. Yeah. Salty potato. Salt, salty potato I could eat constantly. Right, Tyrrell's yeah. salt and vinegar fell over crisp for me. Which is a potato. Yeah. For your potato. Oh. Yeah, although I had so I had some Piper's salt and vinegar crisps earlier. They're not bad, they'd be my second choice. Not vegan though. Are they not? No. It's a good job salt and vinegar crisps, they've got milk in. What's that all about? Okay. Lots of crisps do. Yeah. Mm. Milk. Yeah, 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 well we've got some vegan friends and we've got to search our loaf of vegan crisps. Yeah. Right. And wine. A lot of wine's not vegan. Yeah, yeah. Because mm. it gets sieved through a pig's skin or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, the um, parmesan's got rennet in it, which is apparently meat. Mm. So if you're vegetarian, you, you shouldn't have parmesan or at least some parmesan. Correct. Mm. You're not a vegetarian, are you? I'm vegetarian, yeah. I'm mostly vegan, not 100%, but I am vegetarian, yeah. Surprised you didn't mention that right at the beginning. Well, <laughs> I know, usually, how do you know, you know, how do you know if someone's a vegan, they'll tell you and all that, but I, I, it's not a huge part of my life, but yeah. Mm. Mm. We always talk about restaurants. What's your favourite restaurant these days? I, I am a big fan of Bombay & Co in the Lower High Street. Another boat. Yeah. yeah. You don't like it, do you? I've only been once. I went up with the, took the kids on a Sunday afternoon, mm. and it was all a bit. The toilets are a bit manky, aren't they? Well, it's not flashy, is it? No. But it, I like that about it, though. It's not too polished. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's very real. It's good for a vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. authentic. Great value as well. Great food. Really friendly in there. Uh, ginger and garlic opposite as well is also brilliant, and it's got karaoke bar. It has. Have you in been it. in the karaoke bar? Well, I haven't. A karaoke but booth I need or a karaoke bar? Booth, sorry. Yeah, oh, right, so right. they've got the, old, like, the rooms at the back, haven't they? Right, right. I haven't, but I need to take that one. Because you can't sing, Lauren, as we no, found out right at the beginning when we were Just doing because the I can't test. doesn't mean I will. <laughs> Just because I can't doesn't mean I won't. Well, on that note, do you want to finish the podcast with a song? No, not really. <laughs> no, we not can really. do a duet. Come on, then you start our harmony. I'll do the harmony. Especially for you, we can do Callie Minogue, Jason Donovan. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I think I, well, yeah. She doesn't know who that is. No, I don't. <laughs> I do, I do. I'm not that young, unfortunately. I'd love to be. Well, it was lovely to have you along, Lauren. Thank you so thank you very much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you. thank you. I've enjoyed it. Good.